Sales Tuners, Redefined, Episode 1, A Look into Robert Cialdini's Influence. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's redefined time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and this week I'm bringing you the first installment of a new format I plan to roll out, reviewing the best books I've read and pulling out lessons that can be helpful in your sales process. This format will not replace the conversations you've come to love, but instead will be a supplement to them. With it being new, I'd welcome your feedback. Good or bad, please let me know. While this is certainly more than just an MVP, I will be using your thoughts to continue to improve and make sure I'm bringing the value you expect. All right, let's jump into our first book in the series, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. Originally penned in 1993, this book has been recommended on sales sooners at least nine times by my last count. It spent many weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and was in Fortune Magazine's list of the 75 smartest business books of all time. And for good reason. When you think about why people say yes or no to anything, you may be stumped by why such subtle differences in the way questions are asked can make such a big difference. In fact, researchers have been studying this nuance for more than 60 years. In today's world, all of us have become overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information at our disposal and the choice that comes with that for even the most mundane topics. While it would be nice to think our prospects consider all the information available to them before they decide whether or not to say yes or no to us, you know from your own day-to-day experience that reality is quite different. The truth is, we need shortcuts. We need rules of thumb to help us filter through the noise. And guess what? There's a science to it. And that science is the evidence-based research Cialdini presents in this book on the psychology of persuasion with six overarching principles. Principle number one. Reciprocity. This is something we were all taught at a young age. It is better to give than to receive. That said, upon receiving something, most of us feel obliged to give something back to the person we received it from. Whether that be in the form of a behavior, a gift, or an act of service, it is almost like a debt owed to the giver. Think about it in terms of going out for beers, lunch, or even coffee with a buddy. Rather than split the bill, you decide to pick up the whole thing. What is typically the first thing that comes out of your friend's mouth? Suddenly to the tune of, Thanks, I got you next time, right? Well, this happens in sales as well. That deep psychological need to be even with others becomes obvious when you go out of your way to do something unexpected for a prospect. It could be as simple as sharing a blog post they wrote on LinkedIn and including some commentary as to why your network would be interested. It could be sending them a thank you card in the mail after a conversation. It could be connecting them with someone who he or she could benefit from knowing. It could be donating a small amount of money to a charity they are passionate about. If you were to do one of those things, how likely do you think they would be to say yes to your next request for a conversation? Principle number two, commitment and consistency. People like to be consistent with the things they have previously said or done. How hard is it for you to pass up on donuts when someone brings them to the office? The smell of those freshly glazed morsels of yeast dough just sifting through the air and your buddy two desks over annoyingly telling you how great they are? 
But instead of just saying no, if you've made the proclamation that you don't eat donuts, that is more than a choice. That is now a part of your identity. This is one of the reasons we struggle to have civil dialogue with regards to politics. People remain steadfast in their identity as a conservative or a liberal and aren't willing to even entertain the notion they may do something that doesn't align with their identity. Once people take a stand, no matter the level of that choice, they start to feel a pressure to remain consistent to that commitment and even fool themselves into keeping those thoughts or beliefs just to maintain the appearance of consistency. As a result, that notion can be exploited as well when people make previous commitments. In the book, Cialdini goes further as he talks about the behaviors of bettors at a racetrack. Right after placing a bet, a person may appear more confident in a horse's chances of winning than they were immediately before plopping down their cash. Why is that? Did the horse's odds suddenly shift? Of course not. It's still the same horse. It's still the same track. None of the other horses in the field have changed. But in order to maintain consistency with their bet, they outwardly justify their increased confidence. When you start to think about how to apply this to sales, you need to make it your goal to get prospects to make bold statements about themselves. This will help you both make them your champion, but also hold them accountable when they start to stray or heaven forbid, ghost you. What smaller commits can you get them to make? Can you get them to do a trial or a pilot? Could they give you access to certain data that the public doesn't have? Could you sell them a much smaller assessment to better understand their position? Principle number three. Social proof. I have a friend who's a realtor. If you were looking to move to the Indianapolis area or already lived here and were just looking for a new home, I'm going to send you to my buddy Dennis. Now, hopefully you and I have enough rapport that you just take my word for it. But what if I took things a bit further and instead of just immediately recommending you contact Dennis, I asked you a few questions. Through those questions, I figure out you're looking for a home big enough to fit your growing family, need access to good schools, want a nice yard on the north side of town, and are looking to spend somewhere between $200,000 and $250,000. Well, given that, I would definitely suggest you contact Dennis O'Brien, because he's helped a few dozen people find homes just like that in the last couple of years. But what if you told me you were looking to be downtown, closer to the heartbeat of the city? You want a condo near a few of the hotspots and plan to spend between $400,000 and $500,000. In that case, you should definitely call, guess who? Dennis O'Brien. Regardless of whether or not you plan on making the exact same recommendations to your prospects, despite their choices, diving into them and then using the actions of others helps them to see what the proper behavior should be, especially if they view those as choices being made by others just like them. Your buyers have access to platforms like G2Crowd and Captera. Additionally, you should be willing to connect them with similar buyers in size, scope, or personal situation. Social proof works when done right. Principle number four, liking. Persuasion science tells us we like people who are similar to us. We like people who give us a genuine compliment. And we also like people who cooperate with us toward a common goal. Given those concepts, it's easy to see why so many sales reps are bad at building rapport. They hear it and they think it's their job to become friends with every prospect they sell to. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't have time to make a friend with every prospect I'm in a sales cycle with. Do I believe you should find areas of similarity? Of course I do. But it is more important that your prospects like you than it is for you to like them. How is that different? The reason they need to like you is so that they can trust you. They need to trust you so they feel comfortable buying from you. 
the real goal here is to develop enough trust to get them to open their wallet. Instead of figuring out you both like the same craft beer or root for the same pro sports team, spend time learning to mirror and match their tone, their words, their body language, and even their personality. Have you been introduced to the DISC profile? If your prospect is a D and you are a C, there are going to be some issues. You will think he or she wants more data, more validation, and full details about why they need to make the decision they're about to make. But the reality is, they just want to see the most direct path between this conversation and the end results they seek. Any banter in between is just a waste of their time and makes them think you don't understand. Are you selling to an industry where they use different jargon than you do? Are you from the West Coast and selling to people in the South? The words people use may be in their subconscious, but when someone uses words and phrases that aren't the same in their vocabulary, we immediately know that we're dealing with an outsider. Did you know that in Atlanta, Georgia, every soft drink is called a Coke? It's true. They'll ask you if you'd like a Coke, and when you say yes, they may then ask you what kind you want, knowing full well you may just say Sprite. This is one of the reasons I recommend when dining with a prospect, you let them order first and follow their lead. If they order a cocktail, you order a cocktail. If they order a salad, you guessed it, you're eating like a rabbit today as well. How else can this apply later in a sales cycle? You always want to appear as if you are on the same team as your prospect. Sometimes that means going and fighting the big bad boss on their behalf. If they ask you for special terms or a discounted price, tell them that you're on their side and you're going to do everything you can to fight for them. Tell them what you think your boss is going to say and ask them what they think you should respond with when your boss asks you why. Treat them as if you are just like them, even if it is clear that you're definitely not. Principle 5. Authority. When I mention the word doctor, what immediately comes to mind? A person with a long white coat and a stethoscope around their neck, right? Imagine if you went to see your family doctor and they were in jeans and a t-shirt. Would you trust them to take care of you? Does the clothes they wear really change their treatment of you or their knowledge of the human body and what may be ailing you? Of course not. So why do the clothes matter? It's a symbol of authority and a signal that tells our brain this person knows what they're doing. They are an authority figure when it comes to health and wellness. Now, unfortunately, that may be troubling for those of you early in your career with a closet full of startup t-shirts. And don't get me wrong, I know they're comfortable, but when you're in a sales cycle and meeting in person or via Zoom, you want to maintain equal business stature and a certain level of authority. That means dressing at or one level above the prospect you're talking to. Need another example? Have you ever met anyone who worked for a bank that did not have the title vice president? Yeah, it took me a while to figure out it was meaningless too. There's another aspect of authority as well, and that is the notion of introductions. Have you ever seen someone call themselves, whether in person or online, an expert, a futurist, or heaven forbid, a guru? Well, if you didn't roll your eyes at it, I assure you the majority of business professionals would have, especially those you'd like to call prospects. Please, please, please don't label yourself with any of that junk. Now, if someone else is doing the introduction for you and they are the ones calling you by any of those names, now, that claim might actually carry some weight. Principle number six, scarcity. Simply put, opportunities seem more valuable to us when the ability is perceived as limited. We all want more of the things we don't have. And worse, if there's a chance we might lose something, we hold on to it for dear life. Think about the last time you were having a face-to-face -face conversation and your phone rang. 
Now, my hope is that you're not a monster and you've already set your ringer to vibrate, but nonetheless, it is shaking in your pocket and you have no idea who it might be. Given the option of continuing the dialogue with the person physically sitting in front of you or checking to see who's calling, what do you do? As strong-willed as you think you might be, you know it's killing you to find out who it is. Some of you may check the caller ID just to be sure it's not important. Others of you may actually excuse yourself and take the call. As Michelle Tanner used to say on Full House, how rude. Why is that? Well, you believe the person in front of you is not going anywhere. While that buzzing in your pocket may only last five to seven rings and then may be gone forever. Applying that to your active sales cycles, you have to realize people are motivated more by the thought of losing something than they are of gaining something of equal value. Rather than just talking about what a prospect has to gain by using your product or service, go deeper with them to understand what they have to lose by not making a decision. Consider how your offering could just be an insurance policy for them against that loss. Additionally, be willing to walk away. Tell your prospects that you know your solution is not right for everyone. There have been many opportunities I've closed where I attempted to pull out of a deal by trying to force my prospect to tell me no, but they didn't. Instead, they actually fought to keep me engaged and started selling themselves. Talk about a win-win. Understanding these shortcuts and using them in an ethical manner can significantly increase the chances you can persuade someone with your request and make a sale. That's it. Those are my thoughts on Cialdini's book, Influence, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.